HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Boys are mellows of honeydew. Yeah. That cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. That cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Welcome to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Today's show is brought to us by Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, go to www.hearstranch.com. Today, my guest is Brad Farron, head bartender of the Clover Club in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you. Um, you're originally a North Carolina native. No, wait, sorry, Philly. I grew up in Philadelphia. And then you moved to North Carolina when you were? Mm, in 2002. 2002. Did you go there for school or did you go there for? I went there uh, because I had a bunch of friends down there. And I'd gone to visit them and it was pretty cool. And... One day, my buddy Josh was like, hey, you should move to North Carolina. You should move to Raleigh. We're going to start a record label. And I was like, awesome. well, I'll do that. And you guys uh, were, your, your part in the record label was actually doing more of the promotional side and and uh, getting it started. Yes. You guys were doing a lot of shows. and mm-hmm. Cool. And what style of music was it on, on this record label? And what was the record label's name? It was called Pigeon English Records. Mm-hmm. And we focused on local music in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. And uh, the style, I mean, it was mostly rock and roll, mm-hmm. um, a varying sort of subgenres within. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we'd put on shows, put out a bunch of CDs, uh, seven inches, and stuff like that. There's actually a really surprisingly large amount of independent music coming out of North Carolina these days. It's huge. It's always, I mean, there's been a long sort of uh, history. Yeah. Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill was huge in the 90s. Uh, and then, you know, the, the entire sort of the triangle area just really is like a hotbed for, for creative folks. And, uh, the music scene in, in Raleigh and and Durham and Chapel Hill was awesome when I was there. And it's only sort of grown since. Hey, my, my old band used to play with a a band from Chapel Hill called S&M and Eminem. Did you, Mm -hmm. you know those guys? (laughs) I know those guys. Yeah. Those guys are awesome. They are cool. (laughs) Some of the greatest nerd rock I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, so what brought you into the bartending world? Or the 
industry in general? So I moved uh, to North Carolina in 2002 uh, to do this record label, and I was sort of young and naive and thought that maybe I would make money doing that, and that didn't turn out to be the case. So I took a job. It's more of a labor of love. It was a labor of love. And so I took a job in a restaurant, and I was washing dishes, and I just sort of worked my way, you know, up the ranks, you know, from dishwasher to line cook to, uh, I guess, I took a a job waiting tables. And then that was when I found like my first spot behind the bar. Uh, and then I moved on from there to like a casual fine dining restaurant and I was running food. And then I sort of worked my way up through that way, through those, uh, you know, to serving, to bartending. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, probably about four years ago, I was sort of studying wine and, uh, did the sommelier, you know, did the first test for the, the quartermaster sommeliers mm-hmm. and passed that and got a promotion to the bar manager at this restaurant. And then I was in charge of creating signature cocktails, which sort of sparked my interest in cocktails. And then I started coming to New York to sort of see what was going on. Cause it was, you know, there's a limited scope. Right. I mean, kind of, uh, you kind of grown as much as you, you, you at the point had grown as much as you could in that town. Yeah. I mean, by the time, by the time I was ready to leave, it was, you know, I'd sort of gotten to the point where I was teaching other people more than I was learning myself. And mm-hmm. I knew that there was more to learn. So it was sort of time to, time to move on. So you started coming to New York city to visit some of the, uh, the bars and restaurants, uh, specifically cocktail bars. What yeah. were some of the first places you went to? Uh, Pegu Club was, I think, mm-hmm. the very first one I ever went to. PDT, Flatiron. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of, I'd come back, you know, I'd come up every six months or so and, and check it out. And I kind of hit those places regularly. I didn't realize, you know, I guess, you know, four years ago, there weren't too many other ones. That's true. You know, there was like, there's Milk and Honey. And then I guess Little Branch opened a little while later. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I, I, I sort of befriended uh, Sinjin Frizzell at right. Pegu Club. Mm-hmm. Cause uh, he was a friend of a friend and I'd always come up, you know, on like Mondays and Tuesdays cause those were my day off and he would work, he'd be behind the bar. And uh, I met Jim Meehan there as well cool. and, uh, was able to like correspond with those guys. And, and, uh, eventually I decided I was going to move. And at that same time, Julie, uh, Julie Jim. Reiner, who mm-hmm. owns the Clover club was looking to, you know, she was starting to open and was looking for bartenders and put out a call on, uh, Gary Reagan's worldwide bartender database. Mm-hmm. And I was, I mean, literally like a month away from moving. And I was like, great. Like I'll, you know, shoot this lady a resume and hopefully, you know, she'll call me back. And, uh, I sent Sinjin an email saying, Hey, I applied for this job. Is this somebody I want to work for? Cause I didn't really know what was going on. You know, I was just a guy in North Carolina and, uh, he's like, yeah, absolutely. That's my boss. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, cool. And he ended up sending Julie, uh, you know, this really glowing reference for me and she you know emailed me back and we started talking on the phone and you know after a few conversations she's like great you're hired i was shocked awesome. we were like wait a minute i'm gonna move to new york in two weeks and then i will be a bartender at your bar she's like yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> that's really that's unique for a lot of people moving to new york to get a really great job starting out. Usually you come and you struggle for a yeah. while and you work a couple of places that you don't yeah. really like. The first year is always very hard living in New York city for anyone that just moves. In. Make no mistake. That first year was unbelievably difficult because, you know, I moved up here and unwittingly landed a job as a bartender with, 
you know, the city's top bartenders, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was just this, this rube <laughs> from out of nowhere, you know, and people were like, oh, this guy, okay. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I spent the first three months waiting to get fired <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you were working with some, uh, just for uh, for our listeners, uh, Sinjin, they're just talking about Sinjin Frizzell actually owns a bar in Red Hook called Fort Defiance. A uh, really great place if you ever get a chance to go down there and check it out. Um, so when you first started out at, at Clover Club, you were working with people like Thomas Waugh, right? Who was uh, the past guest of ours. Thomas, yeah. Thomas Waugh uh, started, I guess, maybe five months after we opened. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to work together on Saturdays. Uh, I was also working with Giuseppe Gonzalez, who owns Painkiller mm-hmm. now. Uh, Adam Ramsey, who is a veteran of Flatiron Lounge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at Clover for a little while. He worked at Maya Well. Um, Katie Stipe. Mm-hmm. It's another coworker, Nate Dumas, uh, who works, worked at Pegu Club uh, and now works that with works you. works for me. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, Katie Stipe now runs the bar program at Von Dog, yes. uh, which is a really great place as well. Um, so after... After those first few months of finally realizing that maybe you had a little bit of job security and you started to feel a little bit more yeah. comfortable, um, what were some of the, like, when exactly did you become a head bartender there? Uh, about a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, it was right, it was August of 2009. And um, we had been without a head bartender for a while and uh, Nate, was getting ready to move to Scotland to do mm-hmm. his thing. And it just sort of seemed like the right time, I think just to sort of really own the, the, the bar program and, right. and, and get everybody on one page. That's obviously something you, you were wanting to do for a while. You yeah. want to have your own. I mean, I think most bartenders aspire to have their own bar program, you know, I, you know, after I, after I got over the fact when I moved here that I was nobody, I was like, bullshit i'm gonna be somebody i'm yeah. gonna run this place you know yeah. it's like work, sort work of like like working it. yeah just yeah. like working hard and 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 focusing and and on learning and, and honing and, yeah. you know your technique and and just i really made myself at home there and and decided to sort of you know plant my plant my roots there and and yeah. and grow as much as i could there what was your first drink on the on the uh, clover club menu uh it was a drink called the leone mm-hmm. which had blanco tequila martini bianco uh, Salerno blood orange liqueur and two dashes of Peixote's bitters. Cool. Um, is it that that was uh, before? Was that cocktail on the list before you became the head bartender? Or yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Okay. Our list has always been a very collaborative effort. Yeah. Um, you know, every bartender is expected to to contribute, and uh, that was the first contribution I put forth that was. <laughs> worth it was accepted worth uh, <laughs> showing to the rest of the world nice um and uh you've since uh obviously a lot of the drinks on the on the menu are yours um you recently got into i know i will get to this later about uh sherry cocktails mm-hmm. uh, which i know you're very passionate about uh and that must stem from some of the uh, sommelier indeed exams stuff like that um but <laughs> this last winter you had a section on the menu that was all cream drinks which i think is awesome <laughs> true yeah um what were some of those drinks those uh that's just something that's sort of quirky for me i 
I think cream drinks are delicious. They, I don't, they are, but they have a bad stigma attached. They to do, them. but it's very like seventies. Like it is seventies, and yeah. you know they're sweet and they're sort of desserty. But I don't. I mean, I'm a little bit of a hedonist when it comes to things like that. Like I have a sweet tooth, and I'm not afraid to admit that I want sometimes a drink that tastes like ice cream. Yeah. Like, okay you know, you're not always the dry white wine drinker. You're you like Riesling hey, from time to time. That's true, and I I do as well. Um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like there there are certain styles of drinks that are not necessarily like they're just it, not cool. They're just kind of yeah. not cool. They're like just, I really want to bring back blue curacao, but exactly. But I don't know how well that's going to be received. But like I think cream drinks is a, a, a first like semi-safe step in that direction of like redemption you know agreed and you know it's it's all about the way you present it and you know admit that sure they're a little bit deserty and and then take it from there and show you know show people that they can be complex as well uh we ran uh the golden cadillac which is yeah probably you know like one of the most egregiously cheesy 70s cocktails Mm -hmm. but if you taste it it's actually rather complex yeah. And it's Can you run not, through the ingredients for our listeners? You've got uh, heavy cream mm-hmm. with Galliano and creme de cacao. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a train wreck, yeah. but when you when you taste it, you know you've got like the the cocoa and and, the and then the vanilla the vanilla yeah. from both of them play really well together, and it sort of serves to elevate you know some of the herbal elements from the Galliano. Mm-hmm. All the while, you feel like you're drinking a chocolate milkshake. There's also, but you know, recently. Uh, as of, I guess it's been a year now since uh, Galliano went back to the mm-hmm. original Latintico recipe. Uh, you know, Galliano for you know our dark ages of cocktails was very sweet. It was lower proof, sweeter. Exactly. And then just recently, about a year ago, we were saying um, they went back to a higher proof, drier version of it. Which now it's if you taste them side by side, you're like, wait a minute, they shouldn't. Why did they ever? Why did they? Yeah. Ever why did they it? ever change it? Yeah. I mean, but you know, the American palate at the time was changed. Well, palates for the entire world were changing at that time. And, uh, that could have been like, you know, post tiki drinks, you know, like, yeah, I don't know the history of why they, they reformulated it, but, uh, bull certainly did a a nice job by deciding to go back to the old recipe because it's now, you know, it's again, just a delicious, complex liqueur, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that sort of can hang, you know, toe to toe with, with, with yellow chartreuse and, Mm -hmm. With Strega, things like that. And a lot of people are actually subbing it out in certain drinks like, uh, you know, like the Green Point and sure. certain cocktails that call for yellow chartreuse. You know, they're trying it out with, you know, I, I've always subbed out Strega just to see what it was like. And now you can kind of do that with uh, Galliano. So it is a more complex, more respectable uh, additive to a cocktail. Uh, I, did, I just love that you had the Golden <laughs> Cadillac on here on your menu. Um <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and uh when we get back we're going to continue talking with brad farron of the clover club about bartending in new york city uh we'll talk a little bit about competitions and we're going to probably continue to talk a little bit about cream drinks yeah. <laughs> all right I rise to the top and I think to myself that I do this a lot. World outside just goes, it goes, it goes, it goes. 
service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Take a swig of Beer Sessions Radio every Tuesday at 5 p.m. with Jimmy Carboni, the owner of Jimmy's Number 43, and Ray Dieter, owner of DBA. Beer-loving raconteurs offer toasts, share craft beer news, and swap anecdotes about their lives on the front lines of the craft beer movement. Again, Beer Sessions Radio, every Tuesday at 5 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Brother Jimmy likes talking about his beer. My guest today is Brad Farron of the Clover Club. We've just been talking about uh, cocktails in New York City, and we were discussing the sudden uh, <laughs> attempted revival of cream drinks <laughs> at the Clover Club <laughs> this last winter. Um, and uh, you had one that we were going to talk about sherry for a little yeah. bit, but you had another cream drink that involved sherry, right? It's true. Uh, it was an original drink that I created for... The, the actual sherry competition. Yeah, the Vinos de Jerez sherry competition, and it's called Midnight to Six. Uh, it has is that named after the Pretty Thing song. Yes, it is. Awesome. One of my uh, favorite bands. This is yeah. I, I actually I really like the sort of the the story behind how this drink came to be, what it's called, and sort of came into existence. Uh, so you, I would assume, are probably familiar with the Brooklyn Soul mm-hmm. uh, Festival. Yeah, totally. Uh, one of the founders of dig deeper who puts that together Mm -hmm. is a man named Michael Robinson and he comes into the Clover club. He's been a regular since pretty much day one. And, uh, he's a cool dude and he loves an Alexander straight up. They're great, man. Yeah, no, they're (laughs) delicious. So, you know, the, the, the whole sort of cream drinks thing came from the fact that Michael Robinson's been coming in for, you know, two and a half years orders Alexander's all the time. It sort of just got me, you know, Does thinking he do about gin it. or brandy gin. Nice. Yeah. That's a real dude. No, I know. <laughs> and in fact, he has gone so far as to correct me when I'd serve him an Alexander with white cacao. He says, actually, this is a Panama. Oh uh, yeah. I don't know where he found that out. Cause I still haven't found that out, but I take his word for it. Cause <laughs> he says it with authority, but, uh, yeah, he and, uh, and he and John like, Lennon yeah. and Harry Nilsson. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the only people who know that it's actually a Panama. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he loves him a cream drink. And so I, I thought to myself, I'm going to create, you know, an original cream drink that's going to be totally delicious and slay them all. And it's going to be with a base of sherry this year. Cool. So I took two ounces of Palo Cortado, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of a, a, a medium dry style of sherry somewhere between Oloroso and Amontillado. Mm-hmm. Um, I added to it uh, Crema di Alba, which mm-hmm. is a specific brand of cream, uh, I'm sorry, sherry brandy-based cream liqueur, mm-hmm. sort of like a sherry brandy-based Baileys. Sure. And sure. then added to that half an ounce of Liqueur 43, which is a Spanish uh, right. liqueur. It's a, like a vanilla-y... Yeah, it's very, yeah. It's, it's very vanilla forward. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some other spices in there. Well, and why did you pick the name Midnight to Six, other than just being a fan of the Pretty Things? Okay, so fan of the Pretty Things, making a drink for Michael Robinson, who has the you know one of the largest collections of '60s and '70s you know soul and garage music, mm-hmm. and he one night was telling me about you know he was in sort of late, and he sort of you know he's like, "Have you heard that song Midnight to Six? And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he was like, "Oh, it's this." pretty thing song and it's about how you only ever see you know your friends mm-hmm. between the hours of midnight and six yeah so awesome. it just all that just sort of came together as Perfect. one nice little package yeah you know what i that's funny you mentioned that because uh 
our mutual friend Thomas Wall, who you worked with, and mm-hmm. he was uh, uh, my second guest on the show. Um, we always talk about how we find a lot of inspiration for our cocktails from music. Yeah, and we're all into like this old school rock and roll garage psych stuff, and uh, it's it's really fun to like take those names. It's it's almost easier to make the cocktail after the name. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. I mean, you know. But uh, it's it's funny that musical connection, and just with you coming from uh, North Carolina, where you had the record label that sure. you started, so there, it kind of comes full circle. And also, I I always look to sort of music, and I feel like 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 listening to music and tasting food and drink uh, are very sort of analogous activities where you're looking for harmony and, you know, finding, finding balance, you know, and, and detecting different notes, you know, high notes, low notes, things like that. Like they're very, Uh, (laughs) but you know, I, I think that they're very, you know, very similar experiences. Yeah, totally. I agree. I agree. And you know, it's just, uh, to me playing in a band for a very long time. Um, and after I moved to New York city and, uh, like, very like Neil Young style, like mm-hmm. moved to the city and I lost my band, right? <laughs> kind of right, thing. Right. I uh, for a while like that's that was my focus. That's really where I started fo- focusing more uh, of my artistic direction was into cocktails and spirits. Sure, because I wasn't playing any music. Now I'm in another band, but I still focus so much of my artistic energy on cocktails, and I'm sure that's exactly how. It, I mean, it's like it's the same. It's similar. It's similar. You know, like, I actually have zero musical talent. But I love listening to music, so you can understand the artistry behind it. Exactly, get behind that, and yeah, it's very inspirational. Um, Cool. So, what are you working on nowadays? I mean, like what you just uh, the the new Clover Club the spring menu came out, right? No, not yet. Um, Is it just like a late winter menu? Because I noticed the other day that you had a bunch of new stuff on. We we rolled like the fall the fall and winter menu sort of blend together a little bit, you know, and. just after the new year we put a bunch of more like hard winter drinks on mm-hmm. like for the for the very cold months you know the hot pots out we have hot drinks um and then just sort of you know a lot more of uh your heavier your heavier spirits heavier flavors mm-hmm. that you know sort of warm you through the cold uh our spring menu is probably going to be at the end of march early april okay cool yeah perfect and so I brought uh, I brought with me uh, something that I'm working on for that. Oh, cool! Well, let's try it. I think we should. I think it's a great idea. Okay, it's the best idea we've had so far. Can I move this? <laughs> yeah, you can okay. slide it around there. Um, just while you're prepping that, can you tell us uh, people that have been to Clover or people that haven't? Uh, there's one really cool thing about your menu. Uh, every season, you always have you feature uh, a classic bartender's uh, like the works of yes. Uh, Bill Boothby, We've done, uh, Charles H. Baker. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, you've done Jerry Thomas. And last uh, last time around for the fall, we did Stan Jones. Stan Jones, yeah, who was like the the last great right. American he was actually bartender before in the Dark the Ages. Cosmo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's really fun because uh, you know it's great for for our staff because they get to know you know the sort of legends of of your. And, uh, and then, you know, there's, it's, it's really fun to sort of mine through these old works and find things that, you know, classic, like delicious drinks that have just been lost to the ages. Well, the thing I like about Stan Jones, especially in this period, was he using a lot of Fernet Branca? 
He used a lot of Fernet Branca, and you know what he used a whole lot of is Galliano. <laughs> that guy was on the Galliano payroll, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he must have been. Yeah. Um, tons of it. But, you know, one of, one, of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite gin cocktails of all time comes from his book. Uh, it's The Cloister. Oh, yeah, of course. And I had a really big nerd-out session one night on Facebook with Giuseppe, uh, about where the, the origins of the cloister were. And uh, the first, I found one, I found one cloister cocktail in uh, Ted Saucier's Bottoms Up. Oh, yeah. But it's like, it's, it's different. Just, it's totally different. It's got apricot yeah. brandy in it and it's really gross. So, yeah. but Stan Jones also had a cloister cocktail and it's the one that sort of endures today and it's got gin, uh, grapefruit juice, yellow chartreuse, and a little bit of lemon juice to sort of mm-hmm. give it uh, some acidity. Cool. Um, that should lead us right into the. It work. doesn't actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna try. It. Well, let's just. Uh, All on right, that so note, lead into your news creation. We'll just change the subject entirely. <laughs> <laughs> let's derail for a second. Okay. So uh, what I brought is uh, a drink that I'm working on for for the spring. It's um a lighter. It's a lighter cocktail um that you know I'll serve over cobbled ice and just sort of be like a nice like. Uh, segue between spring and summer i hope cool so i'm I'm gonna use two ounces of barolo quinato which is uh an aromatized wine not too dissimilar from uh, a vermouth a little bit usually like a little bit heavier a little bit spicier uh based with barolo wine and yes. some of my favorite stuff damon approves i approve and might as well just hand that bottle over here. <laughs> so I'll throw, I'm, uh, I'm putting <laughs> two ounces of that in but he did it anyway. to my shaker with uh, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. Okay. You said uh, two of the Barilla, the Barilla Quinato? Two ounces, that's okay. correct. I'm going to put a quarter of an ounce of uh, house-made strawberry syrup, mm. which you should probably taste because it's delightful. Sweet. Uh, we make the strawberry syrup by, um, topping and having, uh, fresh strawberries and Mm -hmm. then covering them, uh, with sugar and letting them macerate for about 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and then buzzing it with a hand blender Mm -hmm. and then just fine strain it out so that you get that nice little, uh, yeah, that's really nice. Nice and smooth. Do you add any citrus to it to make it keep or? Uh, we actually fortify it. Oh, you do? Okay, cool. What do you use to fortify it? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, I, I, okay. <laughs> uh and then I'm also gonna add a half an ounce of aged rum. Okay. Cool. Today we're gonna use Santa Teresa 1796, because that's what I had at home. Thanks, Edison. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Damon Dyer. Oh yeah, thanks, Damon Dyer. Who uh as a very recently just left the Clover Club, didn't he? That is correct. Damon. Uh I'm gonna put a pinch of salt in there. Cool. Dry shaking, just to get it nice and nice and mixy. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I'm gonna have to steal some of this strawberry syrup from you later on, <laughs> or at least I'm gonna have to rip your uh, recipe. Um. Okay. So now, when when you put the pinch of salt in the in the shaker, 
what uh what it's gonna do is sort of um I add it to to sort of alter the bitterness of the kinato mm-hmm. and it'll uh elevate the the sweetness and the 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 fruit it's gonna from make the all the other flavors pop exactly yeah it's a popper it's a popper yeah shake that right. shit. I'm gonna shake this up. <laughs> Brad Farron shaking a cocktail on the speaker. <laughs> All right, cool. So, uh, when when do you think you? Uh, when again did you say you think you'll have this on your menu? Like late March, early April? Probably, probably. I'm, I'm thinking about the first week of April. Cool, right on, man. Um, and let's talk just for a second about the sherry competition again. Um. Now you are a finalist this year in the sherry competition. Am I, am I correct? That is correct. Cool. Um. And can you tell us a little bit, just quickly, about that? Cheers. Cheers. About the sherry competition in general. Yes. Um. Now that's um. That's nice. Right. Wow. Yeah. That works. I like I like strawberry and bitters together. They work mm, really well. They do. Um. So it's Steve Olson. Um, Steve Olson and Andy Seymour. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Seymour is sort of the U.S. Uh, I guess ambassador for the Vinos de Jerez, mm-hmm. um, and they run uh, a consulting group called AKA Wine Geek. They put mm-hmm. right. they put together um, everything. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, they do. You know, they do the. They oversee the the competition. They they do educational trainings around the country. Um, they do events. Uh, they're major. Like they did all the back of the house for the Manhattan Cocktail Classic right, last right. year. Uh, and they also run the Beverage Alcohol Resource along with right. Dave Wondrich and Dale DeGroff and Doug mm-hmm. Frost and Paul Packel. Cool. cool. So, uh, what happens if you? Uh, win this competition oh so the grand prize the great prize is that uh you take a trip to spain with mm-hmm. steve and andy and visit the bodegas of jerez and eat jamon all day <laughs> and drink sherry i bet i bet you're i bet you're gonna be very disappointed with that trip <laughs> yeah well i haven't won yet and it's high on my list of priorities for 2011 well, we wish you a lot of luck, Brad. Thanks, man. Uh, my guest today has been Brad Farron of the Clover Club. Please go visit him. Most nights, I'm sure he's there. I'm there on Monday and Tuesday and Friday and Saturday. Excellent. Um, tune in next week where, unfortunately, I will not be here. I'll be in San Francisco doing some guest bartending. If you're in the Bay Area, I'll be at Beretta on Tuesday night and Della Rosa on Wednesday. And then we'll be back the next week and... I'm sure we'll have lots of stories to talk about from the Bay Area bar scene. <laughs> Thanks again, Brad Farron and my producer, Jack Inslee. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Just look at them two black eyes. You know I wouldn't lie. The following is a public service announcement from the Museum of Food and Drink. 
Dave Arnold and Patrick Martins have gathered a team of New York's most innovative chefs and bartenders to create a nine-course fundraiser lunch at Del Posto, Sunday, March 27th. Their intent? To kickstart the greatest food museum in the world. The menu for this unprecedented event is derived from educational themes of the museum. Chefs will draw inspiration from sources outside their normal sphere. How will a cutting-edge chef handle the Paleolithic, or a dish only using pre-Columbian ingredients? What will a modern Italian chef do with ancient Rome? The chefs include David Chang of Momofuku, Wiley Dufresne of WD50, Mark Ladner of Del Posto, Nils Noren of the French Culinary Institute, Cesare Casella of Salumeria Rossi, Carlo Maracci of Roberta's, Brooks Headley of Del Posto, and Christina Tozzi of Momofuku Milk Bar. Bartenders include Audrey Sanders of Pegu Club, Thomas Waugh of Death & Company, Simon Ford of Pernod Ricard, Damon Boltley of Prime Meats, and Eben Clem of BR Guest Restaurants. Proceeds from the event will directly support the Museum of Food and Drink. Tickets are very limited and $250 per person. To purchase tickets, please visit mofad.eventbrite.com. That's M-O-F-A-D dot eventbrite.com. Once again, M-O-F-A-D dot E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com. Sponsored by Pernod Ricard, Heritage Foods USA, Pat LaFrieda Meats, Barterhouse Wines, Del Posto Restaurant.